Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. First of all, I just want to apologize. It's taken me way too long to get this uh, podcast ready for you. I know you um, are wanting to listen to them, you know, on Monday mornings, a a lot of you and, uh, you know, early in the week and I'm doing this on Thursday. So forgive me. We, we had some company in town over the weekend. And as you are aware, it was a holiday weekend. And so I just wasn't able to get to it in a timely fashion. And then it turns out I am old and I have a rapidly uh, degenerating body and my ankle is destroyed. So early in the week, my ankle just like got really super swollen and sore and I couldn't really put a lot of weight on it. So I uh, had to go to the doctor and apparently I have a, a small fracture and some sort of degenerative foot disease. So that's cool. That's a pretty, pretty cool thing to hear. And I know what you're thinking. Um, can't you still record a podcast while sitting down and not being on your ankle? And the answer is yes. So I don't know. I don't, I don't really have any good excuses for not getting it done. But here we are. We're, it's, it's done now. And now you can uh, listen to our, our message from July 4th. Uh, before we jump in, a few announcements. First of all, we are hanging out on July 17th at Dog Bar. Uh, very important, do not bring kids under 18 uh, for insurance reasons. They are not allowed there, but please bring your fur kids and come on out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, pay attention to our social media for the exact time, but it's going to be July 17th. And then last but not least, we are doing a summer session of small groups. They're starting next week. And if you'd like to be involved, just email Hannah at diffchurch.com and she can get you hooked up with the Tampa group, the St. Pete group, or the virtual group. Okay, so let's jump into July 4th. Um, Right away, uh, Hannah makes a disclaimer about holidays which is something that I think is really important. We, we start off most of our services around holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, um, with a statement kind of like this. Um, we just want to take a moment and we can celebrate and we can also acknowledge there's difficulties that come with this holiday. So I love July 4th because I love exploding things and fireworks. Like <laughs> nothing makes me happier than seeing things explode in the sky. Um, And also, any excuse to eat a hot dog and a burger and a brat at once, I will take. So, like, any holiday that allows me to stuff my face, Thanksgiving, great. Like, we're celebrating America's independence, but also, we have to realize this day can be really difficult as well. Um, And two things can be true at once, right? So we can be extremely grateful for the space that we live in. We can feel patriotic. We can have like support for our country, support for our troops, support for our nation, and we can also acknowledge the incredible harm that our country has done to other nations and to her own people, um, and we can repent for that. So two things can be true. So a good exercise for today, as in all days, just like we did on Mother's Day and Father's Day, is put yourself in someone else's shoes. So if you're feeling like super celebratory and excited today, and this is like just a positive experience for you, take a moment And just reflect on how hollow this day may feel to someone who has really been harmed by the systems of oppression in this country. And if you're feeling like you don't want anything to do with today, maybe take a moment and kind of consider how meaningful this can be to some people as well. 
and how that's a positive space for a lot of people too. As always, you have permission to feel however you want to feel. We don't have to lie or pretend. Um, we're just a community of faith together. And so we are all seeking to belong and have better understanding of each other. And that's what we're working towards. Now, today, our passage has nothing to do with July 4th. <laughs> um, is this, I need to hold the mic like down here, I think. <laughs> we'll see if I can do this. So we are actually going to the Old Testament, my favorite place to be, the book of Ezekiel. We're going to read it. This is Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it says, Stand up, son of man, said the voice. I want to speak with you. The spirit came into me as he spoke, and he set me on my feet. I listened carefully to his words. Son of man, he said, I am sending you to a nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. Side note, that's a lot of times to say the word rebel. It's a bit redundant. They and their ancestors have been rebelling. They're stubborn and hard-hearted people, but I am sending you to say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels, at least they will know they've had a prophet among them. Okay, so what we just read is a, one of the passages in a set of texts assigned for the lectionary for today. Uh, and the lectionary like prescribes certain scriptures for every Sunday of the year. And when I read this, I was like, hmm, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> uh, on the surface, it's like, oh yeah, you're rebels, you're rebelling, you're rebels, you're terrible. Go preach that to the people. <laughs> am I to just yell at you the whole time and tell you how hard-hearted and rebellious you are? Um, no. So let's do a little history first. Maybe we can put this into context. Ezekiel was a child during the reign of King Josiah. He was a great king. I'm not just partial to the name Josiah because it's my partner's name. Um, <laughs> although I do like him very much. So King Josiah is notable because he was one of the few good kings of Israel. There weren't very many. So to say that he was a good king is like top-notch praise coming from the Bible. Mostly the Bible is like, this king of Israel sucked, and this other king of Israel, even worse. And then we didn't think it could get any worse, but it got worse. And then everyone's going to hell in a handbasket. There's no hope for anyone. And then King Josiah comes along, great king. So Ezekiel was a child during his reign. When King Josiah dies, everything does go to hell in a handbasket. Okay, so Ezekiel, the rest of Israel, they were not prepared for what was going to happen to them. This social trauma of the Babylonian exile. So the Babylonian colonialism began like really in earnest in 597 BC when a whole group of people were taken out of Israel and forcibly deported to live somewhere else in Babylon. And the social structure and the religious structure of Israel before they were forced to leave were, it revolved around this faith. Are people setting off fireworks right now? I mean, I'm for it, but like, it is the morning. <laughs> Can you even see them? <laughs> I guess get your party on. So they're rooted in the promises of the land. This is what Israel's entire religion is based on, is the land, okay? So the land of Israel is what God had promised to them. The land is where God dwelled. God actually lived in the land of Israel, specifically in the temple that was God's house. Like I know in church, we're like, we're going to God's house. But we don't literally mean that like God sleeps here. That's what they meant. Like this is God's space where God resides. 
As long as they lived in the land, they had proof that God was with them and God was going to keep God's promises. And then they were all deported, which put a sudden and violent end to that line of thinking that they had held for hundreds of years. Babylon carried off into exile the king, the whole ruling class of people, almost all of the priests, of which Ezekiel was one, um, and a bunch of other random people that they were like, you look like you're a hard worker, we're going to take you. Women and children, unimportant. So the people that are in Babylon now, they've endured this forced deportation, and they've already gone through the conquest of Jerusalem. They've lost, many of them, their, I mean, they lost their homes, but like their homes were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Um, their family members were likely killed, okay? Their homes, their possessions, everything that was held dear to them had gone through this trauma, and then they were forced to leave, and they even lost the temple, which is the center of their life of faith, the place where they offered prayers and brought sacrifices, but the actual place where God was, they no longer had access to. So it was so devastating on like many levels. And in the middle of this, Ezekiel is commissioned to be a prophet to the deported people of Israel. And if we don't know the history, like we might entirely miss the point of these verses. Ezekiel is to be the prophet, the person who speaks God's word to the Israelites. In fact, our text says God himself is sending Ezekiel, the prophet, to the nation of Israel. That's what it says in English. This is very interesting. So the word that the writer of these words uses for the nation of Israel is goyim, which means, like, it's a general term for non-Israelites, so Gentiles, pagans. Um, in many uses, it has kind of like a racist undertone, like, oh, those people that God's clearly going to judge, this is us versus them, and they're the bad ones. So for, think about this, for the writer to call the Israelites God's people, pagans, not God's people, is not just shocking. Like, that's very offensive. The writer is saying, you're so awful. You've done so much wrong. You're not even God's people anymore. I feel like if I walked into, like, a church full of Christians and I was like, you're all atheists, they'd be like, Ugh. But, like, much deeper than that. It's offensive. It's startling. Right? And this, there's this whole sense of divine like disappointment in this passage. Israel is described as a rebel nation, and the community is described as continuing to live out the rebellion. So it wasn't just a one-time act, and the consequence of that was deportation. It was an ongoing reality. And the structure of the passage, it's paralleling these acts of this generation with all the acts of their ancestors. So... I'm sure the people in Babylon, like, they thought their circumstances were unique. Like, we always have to reinvent the wheel. We're always like, this has never happened to anyone in the history of time. This is so unfair. How could this possibly be happening? And the writer is saying, there's been continuity. You guys have acted the same for hundreds of years. You've been doing this. In our English version we read today, it says the people are stubborn and hard-hearted. The Hebrew is, like, a little more graphic. It says it's more like... These children have hard faces and hard hearts. And guess what Ezekiel gets to do? He gets to go speak to those lost children. 
And his speaking has nothing to do with their hearing. Like even if they use their best denial mechanisms, they will not be able to deny that a truth teller from God has been in the middle of them. They don't have to acknowledge what he's saying. They don't have to respond to what he's saying. It's Ezekiel's job to go and speak. And regardless of the reception he receives, he has to go and do it. Spoiler alert, it's not a good reception. Nobody really likes Ezekiel. So, like, what a great message from God, right? You're just like a priest, you know, living your life. And then God's like, hey, I have a job for you, and it's going to be terrible. Good luck. Get up on your feet, son of man. It's basically like, stand up. I'm about to commission you. And the text says Ezekiel can't stand up. The Spirit of God has to enter him and make him stand on his feet. Well, yeah. (laughs) He was probably, like, shaking in his boots, Or maybe he was like, no, I don't want to stand up because this is a bad job you're giving me. And honestly, I think God's choice of Ezekiel is like a little puzzling to us. We can be like, he's just one person, random guy, to go and speak to an entire nation of disenfranchised people who have been through a major social trauma. And the writer like, goes out of his way to remind us that this guy is just a mere mortal. He has no special abilities whatsoever. He cannot even stand on his feet when God tells him to. And if that's not enough, God, Yahweh says, they're not going to take it well. I want you to go share this message with people who are going to hate you. <laughs> Good luck. I think actually it's fascinating because it's important to note that God sends Ezekiel, who's just a regular human, just like us, just a mere mortal, and that God's not just sending the message, but the messenger. God was perfectly capable of sending a message without Ezekiel's involvement. And yet, Ezekiel is involved. And like, I think when we stop to think about this, it's like really deep because we're pretty used to like hearing the word of the Lord on Sunday mornings. Like maybe you hear it in a sermon or a podcast or like a stream online. You're like, oh yes, the Lord really spoke to me today. Um, we're used to the idea that God's word was embodied in one person, which was Jesus. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But less often do we actually imagine God's word being embodied in the lives of just each other, fellow imperfect human beings? And yet this is exactly what's happening here. Ezekiel is just a regular human like the rest of the Israelites. In fact, he'd been through all the same things. He had no special powers or special abilities. He couldn't stand on his own two feet even to get the message, and he had been through the same trauma. It doesn't say he was recovered from it, and now he has some wisdom to share. This regular human person was just sent to the Israelites as the living embodiment of God's message. And the very notion that prophecy like exists tells us It like assumes that humans are the normal channel for God's revelation to people. 
Humans are the normal channel for God's communication with other humans. Like a, one faithful person, like Ezekiel, just proves this hypothesis that God can use anyone, that people are the accepted channel for God to speak. And in the New Testament, we see this, of course, Jesus, the full, full realization of human potential, right, under God, but it, can, it extends it to all people. But in the Old Testament, it's limited. There's only Moses and the prophets, you know, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Amos, there's a few others. There's only a couple people who have the ability to speak the words of the Lord, who are used as a channel for God's word. But in the New Testament, it's open to every single regular mere mortal. And sometimes we're called to be a proclaimer, like Ezekiel, showing the word of God to other people in our flesh and blood. With, like, with our lives, we get to say, thus says the Lord. Side note, if your life doesn't say, thus says the Lord, maybe keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. I'm not yelling at y'all. Sometimes we're called to be the ones that speak. We're called to be the ones that actually show what it means, right? But sometimes we're the ones who are supposed to receive the message. And in both instances, we might find the message pretty unnerving. <laughs> but like Ezekiel, the Spirit of God enables us to stand on our own feet. In Jeremiah, it describes like false prophets. Like how do you know the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? And the false prophets are one who speak comfortable words for the sake of acceptance and popularity. And Ezekiel's faithfulness is like really put to the test here. Okay, because the circumstances and the message from God are not comfortable. And he knows this going into it. God's like, I'm not going to lie to you. This is going to be awful. <laughs> Ezekiel full on like lays on his side for a whole year to prove a point. Um, he eats food at one point that's like cooked over a fire made of human poop. So he's like really, he's like a method actor. He's like very committed. Um, gross. Right, but the, So the illustration of him eating this food that's been cooked over human excrement, because of course that's unclean, you should never do that, right? is because this is what the nation of Israel has become, this abomination. Right? So Ezekiel is like, all right, well, if I have to preach a terrible message, well, it's going to have special effects, like a horror movie. <laughs> I'm going to go all out. And an interesting thing about prophecy I feel like, is that the more uncomfortable it is for the person speaking, the more likely it is to be true. And like Jesus describes this in Matthew, the true way is a hard and challenging way. Like the message of Jesus is pick up your cross and follow me. Come and die. Not come and lose yourself. Not come and change who you are fundamentally. Come and do something that may feel foreign to you. Come and commit to something much bigger than you. Come and be a part of something that embodies mercy and grace and hope for people. And we're like, well, that's really nice. That sounds comfortable. Well, look what happened to Jesus. Does that seem comfortable to you? Jesus embodied this with his life so much that he actually died. And we're like, yes, what would Jesus do? Die. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> 
And sometimes like we just take, we take difficult things as a challenge. We like wear it as a badge on our shoulder. We're like, if people don't like us, so what? We are just speaking the truth in love. We're just going to tell people how it is because how else will they know that we love them if we don't tell them all the things that are wrong with them? That's not the point at all here. If you look at the example of Ezekiel, if you keep reading, he knows it's going to be hard and he knows all these people are going to reject him. But he has to live in such a way that they will not be able to deny that God's truth teller was in their midst. And this is the same example we see with Jesus. The point is not speaking the truth. The point is living the truth in such a way that your life speaks for you. What is it? There's like a famous quote that's like, do speak the truth and if necessary, use words or something. I'm sure I butchered that. Y'all know what I'm talking about if you've been around. What is the truth? So often we're like, well, what's loving is to tell people they're wrong. What is the truth? The truth is love. Love didn't lead Jesus to fight. Love didn't lead Jesus to burn down the empire and set up a new one. Love led Jesus to willingly give up his life for other people. And it did the same for Ezekiel, to willingly dedicate his life to being an example of what love looks like in the middle of the worst thing that had ever happened to this whole group of people. He still said, I'm going to live what it looks like. I'm going to sacrifice my own life so that you will have some access to God because you feel like God is so far away from you. You have no access to God ever again because you're in a different place and God is not here. God doesn't actually live here. You couldn't reach God if you tried because God's in the temple and you're not near the temple and the temple burned down. So God's just gone. And Ezekiel says, you may not like what I have to say, but I'm here to prove to you with my life that God has not abandoned you, that God is still here. And I think the church can occupy both. Oh, I'm going too fast. I'm getting a little preachy. I'm going to slow down. <laughs> I think the church can occupy space on both sides of this text. So for too long, I think we've occupied Ezekiel's space. We're like, we want to be the proclaimer. We want to say to our culture, to our country, to other nations, thus says the Lord. And then we, you know, we say it with an attitude. And if God could like help us out with some lightning and thunder, that would be really great. Because then people would know that we are serious and that God really was on our side and we are the ones who have access to the absolute truth. And um, it would just be so great if God could show up and like strike some people dead for us. Thus says the Lord. That's what the church has been. We, we love that. No matter what, we just have to speak the truth. And those people, whoever they are, anyone who doesn't agree with us, usually, whether they listen or refuse to listen, not our problem. We did, we did our job. We did the Lord's work. As long as we delivered the message, we're successful. Boom. Never mind when we think about prophecy and when we think about living the way Ezekiel lived, when we think about living the way Jesus lived, the message hasn't really cost us anything. Never mind that we're, we're just mere mortals too. And instead of relying on the Spirit of God to help us stand on our feet, 
and preach this message of self-sacrificing love, we're standing up with our own strength and preaching our own message of self-righteousness. We don't always get to embody the role of the proclaimer. And I feel like right now, the church in America specifically, but in a lot of Western countries, like we're at a tipping point. We're the ones who are in need of proclamation. I have heard so many people for so long, because I, I was born in church. So I've been around church people. I've never not been around church people of all kinds. And for years, I've heard people say, we're praying for revival. We are praying for revival. This nation, this generation, God really needs to come save them. And do you know what's happening? This generation is leaving the faith. And we're just still praying for revival. What if that's the revival? What if we're getting what we asked for? We're saying, God, we want people to be set free. We want people to be able to live authentically. We want people to be able to love the way that you say that they should love with their lives. And then they leave the church to find freedom. What if that's the revival we've been waiting for? And we're like, oh no. What I meant was, if we could have like a tent meeting, I'm Pentecostal, so this is what people have literally been praying for. If we could have a tent meeting where people just emotionalize themselves into passing out. And, and please hear me. Like, I think it's possible to be slain in the spirit. Like, I am for all of the woo Pentecostal stuff. Like, I have seen it legitimately in my life. And yet, I have seen it over-emotionalized and pushed so hard on people that you have to be part of something. So you just, like, fake speaking in tongues because they're just going to keep praying for you until you do. Never mind that the message hasn't really cost us anything. Sometimes we're the ones who are disenfranchised from God, who are stubborn, who have hard hearts and little care for other people, who have hard faces. What does that mean? Our faces are like set in stone when we see the suffering of others and it doesn't move us at all. Unmoved when we hear the stories of people who leave the faith to find love and acceptance. Annie Dillard said, what a pity it is that on the heels of Christ, that so hard on the heels of Christ come the Christians. Like, we're the ones who need someone to show us what it means to be like Jesus. And actually, I don't think that's, like, it's a nice statement to, like, put on Instagram and be like, yeah, blast the Christians. They're terrible. Yeah, but... But what did we just learn? That humans are the chosen way for God to communicate to people. So there is no escaping that on the heels of Christ come the Christians. The question is, what kind of faith will you live? What kind of person will you be as a Christ follower? And I think this idea of Ezekiel is um, an interesting way to measure success for preachers and churches and like, you know, pastors don't, like, prepare a message and hope everyone will hate it. Like, I'm not, like, writing this and I'm like, wow, I'm really just going to make everyone so mad and they'll never come back. <laughs> That's not my goal, I hope. 
that it doesn't make you mad. Like we want to affect like some kind of meaning in people's lives. But yet for the, the measure of success for Ezekiel is not the outcome, but whether he speaks or not, whether he lives the message or not. And this is a very hard thing for us in modern society. Like, what do you mean? We can't measure success by the numbers and the results. Like, we want to measure everything in church. How many salvations? How many butts in the pews? How many baptisms? How much money in the offering? How many kids in the nursery? How many decisions for Christ? We just want to measure all of that so we know we're doing something. And I mean, some numbers are important, right? But our faithfulness to God is actually more important because some numbers don't matter at all. And some do. Like, it matters if money comes in or not because then, like, you have to pay rent and buy goldfish for the kids. Nobody wants to hear screaming children who have no goldfish. So, like, that matters. It matters how many people have access to the message because then that means that people are actually finding a safe space to explore faith. So it matters on some level, but what matters much more deeply is are we living the message? Like there could be a thousand people in here. Probably not, that'd be against fire code. But like there could be a thousand people watching online. <laughs> um, but if I personally am not embodying with my life what the love of Jesus looks like, then I have failed. There could be all these decisions for Jesus. But if people are actually not finding a safe space to explore faith or be accepted for who they are or ask questions or go through doubt or deconstruction or find community that supports them, then we are not successful. And like, I think this applies to preachers, sure. But I think it applies to every person of faith, no matter where you are. When we put the weight of the world on our own shoulders and hold ourselves responsible for every outcome. This passage stands up and reminds us that God is the one in charge of results. The hearers are the ones in charge of how the message is received. We are all called to our particular work. We all have things that make us feel alive and goodness that we can put into the world. And our faithfulness to that and to loving people well, even if they don't like it, that matters more than its outcome. And what is our particular work as a baseline? What is it that we are supposed to do? Live authentically. Love each other well, which means being in relationship with other people not just like dumping our opinions on people from afar. Whether people listen or they don't, whether people say, yes, I want to be in your life and welcome you with open arms, or they say, I don't, weirdo, get away from me. <laughs> it's still our job to love like Jesus. It's still our job to allow the spirit of God to help us stand on our own two feet so that we just regular humans can embody the message of grace that we ourselves have received. It says that somewhere in the New Testament. Y'all know I'm bad with references, so I just say it is written. It is written somewhere that um, whatever grace you have received, whatever blessing you have received, whatever hope you have received, whatever love you have received, what a gift from God. 
How could you keep it to yourself? And I don't mean if you hear a Harry Potter's theme song right now. That's my phone. It's not God calling, I guarantee you. <laughs> so you can go home and be like, well, the pastor didn't turn off her phone during service and interrupted everything. <laughs> this is real life. I'm a regular human, but this is a perfect message for this. If we keep that stuff to ourselves, then we've entirely missed the point. And I don't mean we go and bombard people with how they need to be saved and speak some magic words, somehow change their life. No, we need to be available. We need to be in relationship. We need to love people by standing next to them and with them and alongside them, no matter what's going on. And then when we love like Jesus, people will be able to say, I know, regardless of how I received the message, I know that God's message has been here.